This podcast is brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine for those that love to make and drink great beer. Learn more online or subscribe at beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at Craft Beer Brew. We are still in Michigan for this episode of the Craft Beer and Brewing Podcast. We are rolling deep in Michigan this time around, uh, but we're shaking things up a little bit and going in a different direction. For this episode, we're not going to talk about hazy beers, and we're not going to talk about uh, Maybe stouts. Maybe a little hazy. Maybe a little hazy. Oh, you're right. It actually is kind of the hazy. The original hazies. There you go. We're going to talk about the original hazies. Joining me for this episode is David Ringler from uh, Cedar Springs Brew House and Custer Brew House, Brow House. Custer Brow House and Cedar Springs Brewing Company. Yeah. Cedar Springs Brewing Company. Okay. Uh, you've won a couple of uh, GABF medals. You focus on Weiss beer and uh, German style Weiss beer. Yes, it is a labor of love. Yeah. Uh, but you go pretty deep on it, and you are all in on this beer and this style. Yeah, one could. Yeah, one can kind of say that. I started uh, my brewing career professionally in uh, in Bavaria in 1994, and uh, I worked at a little vice beer brewery, and kind of fell in love with the style after avoiding it my first year of living over there because it was hazy. Yeah. <laughs> it looked funny yeah. and it tasted sure. funny. What is that? Uh, but once I fell in love with it, I I I, I really went uh, went went all in. Fantastic. Well, that's actually a subject that we have not talked very much about ever on the podcast in years of doing this. And so I'm, I am intrigued and excited to focus on the subject of ice beer on yeah. this episode. We're going to go we're going to go into it before we do that. G&D Chillers is the brewing industry's premier choice for glycol chilling. They're proud of the cool partnerships they've built over the past 30 years. G&D has set the standard on quality, service and reliability with 24-7 service and support. Want to maximize efficiency in your chiller? GD's micro channel condensers are designed for less power draw. They have a lighter weight and a more compact design using up to 70% less refrigerant. And that means a lower GWP and lower operating costs. Reach out for a quote today at gdchillers.com or call to discuss your next project. This episode is also sponsored by CanCraft. Need aluminum cans, lids, or PackTech can carriers? Design help. Don't know where to start? Thankfully, CanCraft is nearby and ready to deliver your complete packaging solution. Plus, with low minimums and full service support from design through delivery, reaching your brand potential has never been easier. Visit bsgcraftbrewing.com slash CanCraft to get started. And, of course, before we start, just want to say thanks to Experience Grand Rapids for making this trip possible. Uh, to plan your own beer trips to Grand Rapids, start at experiencegr.com. So and David, they are wonderful people. They are. Yeah. They are. We've worked with them for a long time, and uh, I know they're involved in the local uh, Beer City Brewers Guild as well. So they've been very supportive of the industry, and I think we've tried to reciprocate. We even recruited a hotel to Cedar Springs just because of our relationship with Experience GR. So. That is incredible. But everybody I've talked to has great things to say about them. And they are also great at supporting. I mean, beer has become a big draw in Grand Rapids. And they realize just how powerful a tourism driver beer can be. And uh, they are, yeah. No, for sure. They were one of the uh, one of the folks behind the whole Beer City uh, USA thing. That's, yeah, that's Charlie Papazian back eight, ten years ago. More than that, I think, actually, yeah. when that was going. But they were certainly a big part of organizing that and, and helping to brand it. And we've taken advantage as much as we can. <laughs> but <laughs> sure, for sure. real, but it's become a tourist destination because of that. You do see people that are visiting because of 
this this region being known for for beer. Sure, sure. And uh, you know, we were here years ago. I can't remember the exact year for Homebrew Con. Yes, and that was my first uh, Grand Rapids experience. Um, you know, it, it uh, has always been one of those places where I think, you know, why haven't we been to Michigan more for uh, for this? Because well, you, you came yeah. for the weather this time of year, right? I came, <laughs> I came at the right time of year when uh, I mean, of course, it's about a similar temperature in Colorado sure. where I live right now. So, so it's kind of well, like four or five real active homebrew clubs in this region. In fact, and we're sitting in our former homebrew shop that closed in COVID, but um, you know, we were running uh, we were running competitions out of here and. Um, we're a little far, we're a little bit north of the city, but there's, it's really been cool. When I first moved back from Germany, I mean, immediately met home brewers and, uh, there was really no, there was one brewery, I think in the re- in Grand Rapids at the time, 1996. Um, but it, it's really been always like every place else, the home brewers and the, the strong community that we have here that are the foundation of what beer city was built on. Yes. Yes. You're also president of the uh, Michigan Brewers Guild. <laughs> yeah. I was a founding board member of the Beer City Guild, but yeah, then I um I guess I guess I guess I li- like to go to meetings, but um but I've been on the state board now for 6 years and um just um I missed I missed the annual meeting and got elected president, so that shows me, right? So <laughs> Uh, so yes, yeah, so I get to go to a few more meetings this year. Yeah. Yeah. He's not here. Let's, let's make him president. <laughs> I was actually in, um, in Bavaria. So what we've always done is every other year we've rotated, we either take our brewing staff over to Bavaria to actually work in some of the small family owned vice beer breweries mm. that are a model for what we do and, and rotate them with our kitchen staff as we work on uh, food items as well. So we have a, a kit, full kitchen at our Cedar Springs location and, uh, we just had two, Two of our kitchen pros that were over there to spend a week working in uh, Schnitzelland and learning uh, learning how to refine their techniques and make sure that we're uh, putting a little bit of Gemütlichkeit on the platter as well. That's fantastic. Well, we normally kick off the podcast talking about some history. So why don't you t- talk to me about yours? You know, clearly you are have some roots there brewing in Germany. Yeah, I, uh, uh, well, I started home brewing um, like all of us did and reading um, The Joy of Home Brewing by Charlie. Um, back in 1988, I think it was with my dad. I was underage at that point, so I didn't taste it, but I did help. And, uh, I was in a, then an exchange student moved over to Germany and uh, in the course of being there certainly discovered there was a whole world of beer that was kind of unknown to us here in the U S as that was really, uh, boy, at that time, bells had even just gotten started here in Michigan. Um, and uh, took a job when I finished that, finished uh, school and moved over there. And uh, in the course of that, started working in um, a couple of breweries as a volunteer and then entered the educational system over there to uh, do a formal apprenticeship and um, worked for about a year and a half with Halperhaus uh, Traunstein, which had a chain of brew pubs at that time around uh, Bavaria and one in the north. And um, so that was a an incredibly interesting experience and um, then had an opportunity back here in the States to come back and be a brewer with a group that was trying to start a brewery in uh, my hometown of Grand Rapids and um, uh, ended up going to Siebel and finishing schooling there. But um, there were three of us trying to start in 1996 and that was um, us, uh, Robert Thomas, which is no longer around and founders, which, uh, you know, had certainly had their trials and uh, difficulties before they finally went boom. 
Um, yeah. So we've, you know, we've all known each other for a long time. New Holland had just gotten started back then. So um, um, Jason and uh, Brett, and then Jason, of course, peeled off and eventually became Brewery Vivant. Um, and I think as we were talking about even before we started, some of the inner relations here of, uh, of folks that have, uh, but I uh, ended up working for a couple of different breweries. Uh, Grand Rapids Brewing Company version three, which now exists version four, um, worked with Michigan Brewing Company, which no longer exists. And I worked for the original Atwater Block, which was a German brewery over in Detroit back in the uh, late 90s. And um, that's been through several different ownerships before the Atwater, which is an entirely different company. Um, it got going and then they now I think are part of Miller Coors, but um <clears throat> there's, uh, it was interesting. I then jumped out of, I got married and had to get a real job and, uh, <laughs> um, was in a diff totally different field entirely for a number of years, but kept my foot in this by traveling. I was doing some consulting and helping. I helped a couple of import breweries to get some of their distribution set up here in the U S and, um, uh, wrote a blog and just kind of hung around a little bit and, uh, kept my toe in the industry a bit, I guess, when I, I decided to sell my company in 2013 and jump back, back in with both feet. The whole idea being that one of these days I'm going to start a little vice beer brewery. And, um, that's what ended up happening. So talk to me about starting that up. Um, it costs uh, twice as much as you think, and it takes twice as long. So. Yeah. Yeah. Only, uh, only twice. Yeah. But, um, <clears throat> Yeah, like I said, I, I really had the idea. Of just I just wanted to do a small, um, a small place at the time, thinking I might, you know, do something part time. Um, a small, a, <laughs> yeah, a yeah, small place. You're never going to do yeah, that part time. Which is exactly a right. famous, famous last words. And and to make it worse, I mean, we're looking at the historic West Side in Grand Rapids, which was the historic German side of, of that community. <clears throat> but uh, I had family and friends in Cedar Springs, which is a town just a little bit uh, north. We're about 17 miles north of downtown Grand Rapids and found a wonderful property here right on Main Street that had its own parking. We're on the White Pine Trail, which is a state, a vertical state park that runs for 120 miles on an old rails to trails program. Mm. And so we have bikers that come by on a regular basis. And um, it was just a, a great small town community. There had been nothing built here in 40 years. So it was a town that um, it was just north of where I lived. And like I said, I had family and friends here uh, anyway, and they, they kept needling me, come to Cedar Springs. And there's nothing in Cedar Well, you're right. There's nothing in Cedar Springs. And and so it was a nice opportunity, I think, to, um, to really become part of the community. But then, of course, it couldn't be just a little tap room. There's not enough traffic here to do that. And uh, so we ended up doing a full restaurant. And when I had moved back and, uh, and that I'd been in, bars and restaurants through college, et cetera, and had the experience of opening three different places prior. Um, so, okay, sure. And uh, we ended up building a little bigger place than what I had, uh, in what I was originally intending to do, but it's worked out uh, wonderfully in terms of uh, ingratiating ourselves and the community here. And uh, we built, as I said, a full service restaurant. We have a small winemaking operation, a small distilling operation. So, you know, we can offer um, a full array of, of, of products to, um, you know, to our guests. We make our, we have our own sodas as well. Um, so we kind of try to, um, and including Spitzi, which if anybody's been to Germany before may know what Spitzi is. That's a soda. It's kind of an orange cola mix that I've never seen outside of that. It was made originally by um, Polana and Riegele, which are a couple of historical uh, mm -hmm. uh, breweries over there. But um, you see it everywhere over there. Coke and Pepsi both have their own version of it, and I've never seen it outside of that. But you can get it here. So we, <laughs> we've actually— Because uh, you make your own. <laughs> we do. We do. So, um, so yeah, that—and then we've been—we opened— 
We started in 2013, opened in 2015. And then uh, this past year, we opened a second taproom location on that original destination of the west side of Grand Rapids, which, as I said, was kind of the historical home of of nine. There were nine German breweries right in that little area and a couple mm. of halls prior to Prohibition. And um, we um, we opened a little taproom that was delayed a bit because of COVID, but we finally got that open here in August of this past year. And that's, that's more of a classic Munich-style beer hall. So there's not a full restaurant in there. It's snacky, deli, right. uh, you know, quick, warm type. Uh, foods and uh, of course wonderful Bavarian beer I want to talk about vice beer and I want to talk about how you then build a you know a beer program where you find the inspiration for it obviously you're a trained brewer you know you know what you like and you know how you want to construct it but constructing some of these beers with the ingredients that you can get here in the United States may be a little bit different and uh, you also now are brewing a broad range of those uh, you know across the vice beer, sure. uh, you know, family. I'm going to talk about all those things before we do that. AccuBrew is a game changing fermentation monitoring system that gives you unprecedented insight into your yeasts, health and activity. The AccuBrew sensor mounted through your tanks sample port creates a record of sugar conversion, clarity and temperature for every batch run. Step into the modern era of brewing and get your hands on a system that helps deliver your best brew. Every batch like to improve. So does AccuBrew. Something big is coming. Find out more at AccuBrew.io. Also at ProBrew, they believe that your brewery deserves equipment as unique as the drinks that you craft. That is why their solutions are specifically designed to help you brew your beer, not someone else's. From brewing to fermenting to carbonating and can filling, ProBrew's customizable equipment empowers breweries to expand operations at their own pace. For more information, visit www.probrew.com. Or email contact us at probrew.com to learn exactly how they can take your operations to the next level. Probrew, brew your beer. And is your brewery making its own ciders, seltzers, and other beverages beyond beer like soda right here at Cedar Springs? If you need a central source for fruit flavor, Old Orchard has you covered. Old Orchard supplies flavored craft juice concentrate blends to beverage brands for the production of beer, cider, seltzer, wine, spirits, kombucha, and more. Flavor your lineup and streamline your sourcing by heading to oldorchard.com slash brewer. So, and of course, they're right here. <laughs> <laughs> what it's interesting by having some of these other things in our lineup, we really, uh, you know, being German and what we are doing, we are making for, we are making beer with four ingredients. So we have avoided having to do seltzers and some of these things by having cocktails and sodas and yeah. this, this sort of stuff as al- alternatives. So chirp cider. I saw on your menu. Absolutely, there too. Yeah, sure. yeah. But let's talk about vice beer. Yeah. So this is something you're Isn't pat- it wonderful. <laughs> it actually is pretty wonderful. And, uh, and I enjoy drinking it. It's one of those funny things where I never, you know, if it, if I have a whole bunch of beers sitting there to drink, it might not be the first one that I'm going to go for. Every time I have it, I remind myself, a good iteration of, of Weizbeer, mm-hmm. remind myself how much I do enjoy this and wonder why I have it in my head that it's not something that I love. Well, you know, it's it's interesting as you're going through this and saying these, and, and we hear this a lot. I mean, it's, it's funny. When we first opened back in 2013, 14, 15 in that process, and I mean, I had a lot of brewer friends and home brewer friends and beer geeks and everything else. And, you know, they would talk about the, and I'm like, you know, you guys probably aren't going to like our beer. Well, no, what do you mean? I mean, you, you, you know, you bet. I said, yeah, but you're probably not going to like our beer. You know, we're just not, we're not doing the big barrel age. We're not doing the super huge IPAs. We're not, we're just not doing that. We're, we're doing this 
great, great, great grandfather's beer. <laughs> that, yeah. And we did lagers from the very beginning, but um, you know, really, my passion was sure, always sure. the vice beer. And uh, but it, you know, one of the things when I was even going through the process with banks, and you talk, well, IPAs are the well, if you kind of look at it and you go of crafty beers, um, and you start counting Blue Moon and Hoe Garden, and I mean, wheat beers actually are the are one of the top selling, if not the top selling yeah. crafty category Sure, uh, when you break it down. So there is an appeal there and it's a crossover appeal. And, uh, you know, we had all the licenses up front, but when we opened, it was just beer and we'd get a lot of people, of course, that come in and insist they don't like beer. And, you know, we can sit down and talk a little bit about flavor instead of getting caught up in the style, the style as much, but, you know, try this and look for these flavors. And I'll, you know, I'll bet we had about two thirds of the people that swore they don't like beer that would drink our original, the the the, the classic old school uh, of ice beer, and would be like, oh, actually, I, I I can I can drink that. And and in fact, I use my own wife as an example. I married a woman that didn't like beer, and it took me about five years, but. I got her started with original vice beer and now she's a really good beer drinker, uh, you know, 23 years later. But, um, uh, it was that, it was that style. It didn't, it has characteristics that are unlike what you think of as beer. It doesn't have the big maltiness crunch and it doesn't have the hoppy bite that offend many people who claim not to like beer. Although I would argue they just haven't met the right one yet. But <laughs> Sure, sure. But it also doesn't have, uh, especially in your iteration, some of the more kind of, you know, flowery, cliche, I shouldn't say cliche, but just, you know, some of the more caricature flavors that come from some of that excessive approach to fermentation. You still, in that German tradition, keep it trim. Well, I think uh, that is one of the beauties of, of Germanic brewing. I mean, not to certainly speak for everybody, but when you, when you, when you drink German beers, it's really about balance and subtlety. You can sit there and find a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And yeah, there's a little nuttiness. There's a little banana. There's a little clove. There's a little, but you can also just sit there and drink beer with friends and not give it a second thought. I mean, it's, it, it is a, it is a, a social communal beverage. That's the whole point. Um, without having to hit somebody in the head with a two by four and flavor. Um, you can enjoy extreme beers as well, but there's a time and place for all this. This can be an everyday beer, and it can also, when I say this, I mean, we, we always have at least three different versions on tap at any given time, and we've had as many as six on at any given time. Um, but it, they're, you know, they're they're meant just to be enjoyed, really. It's not, it isn't about um, totally dissecting it. Sure, sure. So you decide to start this brewery. Where do you where do you start in building the beer program, knowing that Vice Beer is going to be central to that? Because at the same time, you know, there's plenty of examples that that you know run across the gamut of brewing to pull from, and so you you know needed to form the idea for what your right. Vice Beer family was going to to feel like. Right, and when we um, you know there were two things. I mean, we started with the equipment. Obviously, we had to make some modifications to what we wanted to do, and. We interviewed, gosh, I think 33 different um, brewery manufacturers when we were going through this process. And with all the modifications that we wanted to make, it, uh, it became difficult. Uh, so we ended up um, designing our own, really. And we worked with a local steel mill, uh, steel roller out of um, Belding, which is about 18 miles up the road here that was able to roll the steel for us. And we had a homebrew manufacturer, actually, Psycho Brew, uh, that had never done anything more than a, than a one-and-a-half-barrel uh, system. Yeah. And we uh, talked to them, arm-twisted them into helping us put this thing together. So we kind of 
built our own little thing. Um, oh, that, which that's included the easy a little, way to do it. Yeah, sure. <laughs> well, it actually ended up, uh, you know, financially, it was probably a better because by the mm. time we had all these mods to, um, you know, any rack system and everything was infusion mash, English style systems. Um, you know, we, we did it. We invested in a boiler right up front. Uh, it's only, it's a 15 barrel system, so it's not, isn't overly huge, but put in a boiler right away to steam heat um, so because we wanted to be able to decoct and stack mash. Uh, and we do even our English beers, our American style crap beers, we, we step mash everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we also um, uh, put in open fermenters uh, right away to traditional open fermenters too. So that primary, uh, that really beautiful flocculent yeast, we just let that to go without any pressure and let that, yeah. uh, let yeah. that sing. So um, we're, we're really trying to get, and again, temp everything else, trying to tweak and get those flavor that that ester formation right off the bat. I think you know. I think you taste that when you um, into the flagship being the original, um, and that's more the historical version. But you, you want that subtle estery, those subtle estery notes to balance up the the without fullness the, of the body. Yeah, without the stress notes too. Cool. You know that that open top fermentation is so nice and gentle. You know, soft, soft, yeah. drinkable. Um, you know, I had to, uh, we, we just took a master of styles class down at, uh, Siebel a couple of years ago, um, I guess it was right before, um, right before COVID, uh, with, and Randy was, you know, there and I always debate with him on the, on the high pressure of, of Hefeweizens and, but a lot of this was because these bottle conditioned bottles were coming over and sitting on a dock in Newark for a long time. Mm-hmm. And these weren't exactly fresh. When you drink a lot of these beers fresh at their source, um, they are soft. It's not, it, it, they are not overly, overly carbonated in, 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 in most cases. So uh, we wanted to replicate that a little bit. And we, sometimes we have that challenge when we go into uh, competitions because they, they say the carbonation is too low. Um, but the second part of that, because be, American judges yeah. are conditioned. I mean, it's the way that it happens. It's, it's the reason why Europeans made like stale tasting IPAs for so long well and now it's it's that's all frankly frankly we run into this uh, a lot in competitions especially with the original because they don't know what bernstein farbenes weissbier is they have hefeweizen which is the pale version and that was actually invented in 1965 that's the modern beer um and dunkelweizen of course uh, and weizen box and all this but um you know this one's kind of overlooked there is a category in 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 the gibf for it and world beer cup of course they get more uh um and when we we enter beer star as well and they have a, a a very popular (laughs) uh, category for it, um, you know, over there. So um, it's, that is one of the things we struggle with a little bit. A lot of times you have to call competitions and say, Hey, this is what we have. Where do I put this in? And they'll be like, Oh, well just put it in the heft category and we'll see what happens type thing. So, um, but uh, the second part of your question was then, um, you know, getting staff on board. So uh, by the time we hired then our, 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 our first brewer, before we even opened, we traveled uh, over there and spent uh, spent a couple of weeks working with some of the family brewers that um, that I knew from my time over there and that had become friends. And, and uh, so we spent uh, a good amount of time in talking with them and in getting a feel for um, how they were treating and what they were looking for with with these styles, and some of them are strictly vice beer brewers, and some of them did like we do, lagers and 
um, and vice beer. So uh, that was, you know, kind of the first part of the journey and certainly having a common vision with those guys that this is what we we wanted to do. And gals, uh, we've 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 had three brewers in our time, one female, two two males. Um, and my original brewmaster when I was overseas was a female, which was very unique in that time. Um, and still get, I had a chance to see her last summer. Um, so we still kind of keep a contact on a, on a, on a, on a lot of this, but, um, you know, I think that was, that was the other key is, is summing someone that was just as passionate about creating this as, you know, as I was, I, when I would travel around the U S for the 25 years prior to that, I would try wheat beers and Hefeweizens every place I would go. It would just be one of my go-tos. If they had one on, I tried it. And, um, you know, there was what we were doing ended up being very, very unique. I don't know of anybody, certainly that focuses on this style, but um, um, that even brews it on a consistent basis. But to even get uh, your brewer hooked on it, you had to go over there, go through the experience and get them, uh, you know, well, I think get he immersed was, in that. He was hooked on the class fact. I still remember going through the interview process and I asked for one of it. What, what was, you know, what, what, what might you consider one of your weaknesses as uh, you know, in the industry? And he says, well, I'm not really good at staying up on trends. And I said, I might have a, I might have a good fit here. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Sure. So, sure. Uh, and which is kind of funny. I mean, we've make it, we've made a joke about it here. In fact, we put out a, you mentioned hazies earlier and talking when the hazy uh, IP and I, I love a lot of them, but it's just not something we've ever done and we put out a t-shirt that says you know had our vice beer on it that this was the original the original hazy you know um but uh he uh, his name is matt and matt peterson and we, he he just has not had interest in doing those and so we haven't and um yeah. you know like i said we didn't we didn't we haven't done seltzers and uh, we haven't done any of those things we're we're trying to and I, it is somewhat gratifying i think when we go to beer festivals um, and we have our booth up there. I mean, we don't get the lines like the people releasing the the barrel age, this and that. But what we do get is a lot of the brewers that come by and they want to drink a pills and they want to drink a vice beer. Um, and they want to sit around and talk about beer. Um, so there's there is some some satisfaction and in, in that they're not just coming to taste. They're coming there to hang out and, and, and have a couple. So. For sure, for sure. You know, I think that's one of the most exciting things about beer is tasting the beer that people that are incredibly passionate about it make. And again, it doesn't really matter what what the style is, but uh, you know, if you are that focused and that disciplined and and that excited about making one thing. My wife would not call me disciplined at all, but. No, no. Well, you know, you, you stay on track. Yeah. Um, you know, so, so again, you know, as you think about it, you decided to, you know, make, you know, vice beer, the focus of this, um, you know, how did you go about creating your first lineup of vice beers? You know, you've built the brew system, you've got open top fermenters, um, you know, how do you start building recipes, but also not just building recipes, but also thinking about what the parameters are that start to, that define your beers. Well, I think, um, well, like, probably most when we were getting started, it really wasn't as much of what we wanted to do. And, um, you know, trying to create everything perfectly up front, it was, we got to make some beer and get it out the door. Sure, um, sure, sure. You know, we, when we opened and again, for people not familiar with the area, we're about 20 minutes North of the city by car. So it's an effort for people to get here. Um, but we opened with four beers is all we, all we had time to get out by the time we had our license granted and, you know, the clock's ticking. We had people trained and everything takes longer, of course. And well, like, we got to open. Um, so we did. And we, within two weeks, we ran out of all, but 
you know, all but one beer, which was a high gravity beer. And it's like, all right, we got to close. And we end up closing um, for another week, I think, to kind of catch up as we had beer in tank. Wow. But, uh, um, <clears throat> you know, we keep 16 on tap at, at, at any given time. And from time to time, we'll have an empty line. But um, it took probably a year to get all those lines filled. So, a little bit of the question is, is answered and it, you know, it took a while to, to dial it in and we've had the brewing staff back now four times. So of course we tweak and, and adjust and play every time we've been through, uh, three different vice beer yeasts, um, before we kind of found our fit and the one that we currently use, I like better in our original. I don't like it as well in the pale, which is what most people would consider a Hefeweizen. Um, but the original is our, as our flagship, that was, you know, kind of the priority. So that was a, um, a trade-off and not, um, you know, not trying to carry two yeast. Um, what do you, when you say the, you like it better, what, what, what is the element that you like more about, uh, each one? For me, it was, um, was the body and the subtlety of the ester formation. Hmm. Um, it, it, with the other two to, to me, the the I got a, f- a flatter sensation from not flat in terms of carbon dioxide but flat in terms of roundness of flavor um, from the original um, from the Bernstein Farbness beer and, and it we actually got a little more fruitiness and a little more um, a, a, a little more um, of the fruit banana clove ester formation in the in the pale vice beer um, and not to say that it's not entirely there now but it's just not as pronounced as it was and again when you get into competitions a lot of times we'll get in that it's not there's not enough clove or there's not enough banana and again this all that's going to be personality that's sure, that's sure. totally totally okay and totally acceptable yeah. i mean yeah. um you know we're, if as long as there's not off flavors that's what that's what we're most concerned about when we get uh, when we get feedback on a lot of this but um you know we focused here and, and honestly over time it's funny early on you know, our, when we first opened our pills was our top selling beer. It's the lightest beer. And again, we're kind sure. of in a, we're, we're in a, uh, a rural, semi-rural like community. Budweiser. Yep. There you go. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but or, here. Or Miller or whatever it is uh, up here in the Midwest may not be Budweiser this far north. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's all of the above. Uh, Labatt's is actually a big one Labatt's, here in, in yeah. Michigan, believe it or not, with the proximity to Canada. But um, and Pabst. <laughs> uh, but, um, you know. It's it's the, a funny thing has happened over time, and we have a seasonal push, of course, for Oktoberfest. But in both of our locations, the original uh, the, the Vice beer is far and away our top selling beer always, every month, month after month after mm. month after month, um, and it has been that way for almost three or four years. Um, I mean, it always was right up there, and it would be some months number one, and then you know maybe Pills or a light a light ale or um, I, um, and we have an American lineup of beers too. Um, it, Maybe the, uh, um, you know, the, the Oktoberfest was in the fall, but it's just been consistent and in, in it's almost two to one of anything else in our Grand Rapids location. So, I mean, people identify us with that style and, you know, almost like, uh, you know, Blue Moon or Widmer Brothers back in the day. That's what people thought about is a wheat beer. Um, and that's really become, you know, our identity in, ter- in terms of, um, you know, market acceptance and that people that are coming there, that's what they're looking for. So it took a few years, took about three years, but then, then it kind of settled in and, and people kind of realized that this was the thing that you guys were so focused on, that this was the thing we should order. It's almost like going, you know, do I want to order what I want when I go to a fine restaurant mm-hmm. and a chef is cooking for me? 
Or do I want to order what they're really excited about making? Yeah, one I, way or another, yeah. it is funny. You know, we talked about Beer City and the the experience GR, and we always know when we get beer tourists in because a lot of them will come here. Okay, it's a brewery, and the first thing they do is to order the IPA. Totally fine, but. I, when I see people do that, I almost uh, I always ask, is it your first time here? And they go, oh, yeah, yeah, we've never been here before. We're on a tour. And, okay, well, if you're here while you're here, just make sure you give this a try. And this is what this is why and this right. is what you're looking for. So, um, you know, but it, to to me, and of course, like I said, as a young, young whippersnapper, when I was overseas and working on this and kind of fell in love with this style and, uh, you know, had this idea of – Everybody that any of my friends or anybody that visited, they always seem to like that beer. And I'm like, well, why don't we have this? And with this idea of of creating something and then actually seeing people respond to it is interesting. Now, it's it gratifying. Um, I mean, not every not everybody, of course, likes vice beer, but we get a lot of people who oh, I don't like Hefeweizen, but when they actually try this, which is a, is much closer to what you might, or or as as good as if I if I may be so bold um, as anything you'd find in Munich, um, you know we 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 find a lot of people that don't think they liked that style actually go actually I do like that style so or at least I like this version of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I want to talk about what do you think some of those kinds of you know points of excellence are. You know, some of those like key brewing decisions and some of those things that you do that that lend it. This kind of excellence. When I say that, I mean you have won multiple JBF medals, you know, for these beers. You know, I want to talk about what some of those key points of differentiation are. Um, before we do that, from the rotatable pickup tube on Rogue Brewing's Pilot Brew House to the integrated hotbacks on Sierra Nevada's twin prototyping brew houses, SS Brewtech has taken technology they invented working with world-renowned industry veterans and made them available to every craft brewer. To learn more about SS Brewtech's innovation list, head on over ssbrewtech.com also 100% recycled 100% recyclable and reusable Packtech handles are the sustainable solution to handle your craft beer Packtech has been a leading producer of secondary packaging for the craft beer industry for over 30 years and their handles are found across the globe by fully embracing the principles of circular economy Packtech helps customers meet their own ambitious sustainable goals 100% recycled 100% recyclable and and reusable, Packtech is the sustainable packaging solution for your craft beer. Order your free samples today. Call 541-461-5000. That's 541-461-5000. And Berkeley Yeast, the creators of Tropic Yeast, which produces massive notes of guava and passion fruit, now bring you Thiol Boost. Berkeley Yeast Thiol Boost is pure liquid thiol precursors that take tropics to the next level. Add it to the fermenter when you pitch the yeast and prepare yourself for tropical fruit nirvana. The concentration of precursors is the same in every batch of Thiol Boost, so you can predictably tune the level of tropical flavor by adjusting the dosage. Mention this podcast, get 15% off your next order. Berkeley Yeast, ordinary yeast made extraordinary. So let's talk about that question of excellence. For you, what are what are some of those kind of key performance indicators? Those well, uh, I gotta say, we've screwed it up a few, more than a few times. So I mean, we, <laughs> fair we enough. Have, fair we have dis, we have distilled a few batches. Let's just put it that way. They yeah. haven't worked out. So, um, you so know, that's the key is making sure you have a backup plan right. when you screw it up. Right. Yeah. yeah when we when we've had uh, you know we've we've certainly had uh, 
generations of yeast go bad or sure. uh, have you know had our issues. I mean, everybody. And you get your weeded spirits that way. Right? That's right. Yeah. So we, we one, when we started to figure out, hey, you know what, we can um, we can distill this and put it in a barrel, and that doesn't that didn't suck either. So um, uh, so we did have we have had a backup plan when when necessary, but. Um, you know, I mean, a couple of key things early on. We had a, a little wider uh, loiter ton so that we could we can make sure we were always. I mean, by uh, tradition in history, vice beer, Hefeweizen, and I mean, Bavarians will almost always call it vice beer. Uh, it has to be at least fifty one percent yeast. So you know that that was an issue for us to make sure that oh you know we were wheat, able wheat wheat. Yeah, I'm sorry, yeast. Did That's I say okay. yeast? Yeah. You did. Yeah. yeah. The beauties of semi-live radio, right? That's all right. It's um, all right. Uh, wheat, yeah, exactly. So um, to make sure that we can, we can get our mash yeah. uh, through efficiently. Yeah. Um, and a good uh, a, a quality screen in our loiter done um, sure. in a smaller system, and then as I said, the you know the other thing is just um, is just being able to control control temperature, so that we can we're just trying to. I mean, I know that people will say you don't need you don't with the modified malts. You don't necessarily need to do that, but um, you know we've tried it both ways, and we in our in our opinion we're just getting more roundness of flavor and more body. Um, by just trying to get With everything, mash. Yep, yeah, trying to get everything, we trying to get all the full conversion, everything that we can out of the, out of out of the malt. Um, yeah, and then um, obviously healthy, healthy happy yeast makes healthy happy beer, and um, uh, that that open fermentation up up front is you know another maybe a little bit of a, a level of seek. We can do it in a conical too, just by uh, you know opening up, but right. it's it's. Um, it's it's also fun. I mean, some of that's marketing too. That when we take tours through, they can see. Yep, here we have the open fermenters. This is exactly the way that great 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 Opa did it. And um, and there's something you know, there's something kind of. How did you build those that. open fermenters? Are those uh, you know the you know a uh, wide and flat uh, geometry? Or? We were sitting in a bar with the guys in building that rolled the steel and um i kind of drew out a napkin what i was looking for this mm -hmm. is what i worked on when i was there can we do something like this with kind of a little overflow window right. to to top crop the yeast mm -hmm. and i mean I, I wouldn't say we got it exactly right because it hasn't been certainly as efficient as what we would have liked but um but it works and um you know it's it's a as I said, visually it's kind of cool, and I love the I love the smell of that uh, primary fermentation up front. That's only a, only a couple of days, but um, and then we move it and um, and put it right in the conicals. But mm -hmm. it's the way it's always done, and that's what we've tried to emulate here a little bit. And you know, kind of our tagline of being German tradition and crafted in Michigan. We're trying to stick to that by by doing it as closely as we can. But you know, in terms of that geometry, is is this like a one to one geometry, which can be you know you know? No, not necessarily. Um, I mean, you know, the, the biggest thing is is getting your getting your um, for the cropping, getting your volume yeah. line yeah. right, so you can you can crop without having everything sure. fall back in. So yeah, you know, to talk a little bit about the hist you know, the history and the approach to to vice beer too. I mean, that's also been a sec. That's also been another thing, and starting. In the industry, you know, back in the '90s, in the in the late '80s, early '90s, craft beer brands at that time, everybody was really small, and you, you know, you built this by talking about beers one on one with customers. And a lot of the tap rooms back then had maybe a light ale and a red ale and a dark ale, and maybe they had a rotating seasonal. Um, and it, it it wasn't fifty or a hundred or or twenty five, uh, you know, different beers to choose from back then. But we've almost had to do that again as 
a German brewery or as a vice beer brewery because the standard has always been that everybody has a bunch of IPAs and then you had AZ IPAs and then you have sours, then you have, you know, there's an expectation by the craft beer world for what you're going to be as a craft brewer. And we're not that, um, you know, we have two beer menus. Basically one is our Custer lineup that is all German beers and that is split between wheat beers and lagers. And then we have an American, uh, a CS line that our Cedar Springs line that is IPAs and stouts and, and, uh, you know, light ales and the, and we do a Belgian series in the summer and that kind of thing. Um, and then particularly on, on vice beer, because vice beer, most Americans think of as half a weasen or whatever they want to call it. Um, but they're referring to that blonde, um, you know, light fruit forward. Um, and there's a lot of great examples of it around the country, um, you know, but not that many are really that specific Bavarian vice beer that we're talking about. Widmer Brothers is a great beer, but it's really not a Bavarian half of it. It's American wheat. And um, so we've had to kind of educate a little bit on a one-on-one basis to talk to people about what it, well, what's a vice beer or what's a wee beer when they look at it. Um, and, you know, you know, this is actually what it is. It's a, it is a tradition that dates back five, six centuries um, coming from Northern Bavaria and moving into Munich. Um, and for 300 years, it was exclusively brewed by the Royal brewer of the Wittelsbachs, the Bavarian Kings as the one exception to the Reinheitsgebot. And it was uh, up to a third of royal revenues actually during that time. And it, the style kind of died out in the late, the mid to late 19th century as the rise of lager beers took over. They isolated lager yeast. You had mechanical refrigeration and lager started to take over that Bavarian and that Munich beer market. But prior to that, Munich was really known for dark, heavy, full beers, very hard water. And, um, and the style kind of started to fade away. Ludwig II was the most famous Bavarian king, the one that built all the castles, very disinterested in politics. And he ended up uh, negotiating uh, um, the public rights to brew wheat beer to George Schneider. Schneider Weiss, many people have still heard of. Mm-hmm. And that's still the, the oldest Weiss beer brewery out there. And we get to see George on a regular basis. I got to see him three weeks ago when we were over there. And, um, you know, their family, if it wasn't for, you know, his... He's, he's the sixth. His kid is the seventh. Just got done, I think, studying in Chicago. Uh, but his, um, if it wasn't for that family, the style may have died uh, Died, and there would have been a need for a Pierre Sellis to bring it back at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, they kept it alive and there were a couple of people doing it until the 60s when, as I kind of mentioned earlier, there was a revival on wheat beer styles. And it, But it was, it was with pale malt. You had pale malting techniques and you started to get these lighter, much more fruitier beers. Americans, certainly a lot of soldiers that were stationed in southern Germany were exposed to it. Uh, it was started to market it a little bit with a lemon at that point because right. the citric acids would cut those females. Females people were used to drinking clear lager beer at that point, uh, you know, from the mid 19th century forward with the rise of Pilsner. And uh, they were really unfamiliar with these these hazy, <laughs> hazy beers sure, again, sure. right? And these these phenolic flavors that that doesn't taste like beer. So the cit- the the lemon, the citric acid, you know, much like a lime and a Corona will cut some of that. And, uh, and it was used as a marketing tool to export 
to uh, drinking areas outside of Bavaria, and also uh, certainly a lot of uh, uh, you know a lot of soldiers who were stationed there. A lot of tourists were exposed to wheat beer in that in that fashion. Um, they did not have lemons in Bavaria 500 years ago, so of course that was not the traditional right. way of serving it. And it's right. but many people enjoy it that way now, and that's that's certainly totally uh, you know totally fine. But um, it was intended to have these phenolic and these uh, fruity flavors. So uh, there was a, a certainly a revival of the style in, in, in Bavaria during that time period then as we got into the late 60s, 70s, and into the 80s. And uh, it was up to a good quarter of the market in Bavaria, again, wheat beer. But at this time, it was the, primarily that pale Hefeweizen version that we we think about uh, over here. I think the last couple of years, it's kind of to fall away a little bit. There's, um, there's a... Uh, an early to mid nineties craft beer scene developing over there. Berlin's kind of the center, I think of the German mm-hmm. craft beer scene, but it, it exists all over the country and certainly in Bavaria as well. So you're starting to see brewers experiment with pale ales and, and with IPAs. And like I said, these, these would remind you a lot of the mid, uh, you know, maybe the mid nineties versions of what we might've had of some of these things over here. Certainly the, again, the extreme flavors don't play as very well over as well over there. Uh, you'll start to get Bavarians waving their hands and like, that's just too much. But, um, but you know, you have a nascent scene over there that is starting to, uh, starting to evolve. Um, and, uh, you know, so vice beer is kind of floating, but it's still, you know, every bar you go into, every brewery you go into, there's going to be, there's going to be a vice beer available. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, for many people, they're, you know, still, that's their number one, their number one um, style. And, um, you know, so it's one of the things that if you travel in that part of the country, you're going to experience. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, f- for us, we keep that pale version on all the time. We call it our modern, our Custer modern vice beer. Um, we do the original, which is our flagship, as I mentioned earlier, that's the Custer original. And then we do a Dunkelweizen on a regular basis. And then we do a couple of bucks. We do a Weizen, uh, a dark Weizen buck, a pale Weizen buck. Um, and then we've, we started to do a couple of, uh, specific year sensitive where we were trying to do a little research on what the style might have been over a period of time. So 1872 was the year that George Schneider got, George Schneider the first got mm-hmm. the rights to Vice Beer. So we did a version uh, here just last year, the, our 1872 Urweiss, which was a version modeled after what that might have been uh, at that time. So Let's dig we, up that info. Um, just trying to read a lot and talking to George. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. um, so it, it, and it just, it gives us a way to so kind of like a Ron Pattinson project right yeah. there to dig up the historical <laughs> brew logs. Yeah. Well, and it, and it, and even here locally, uh, we, we name our beers, Kuster, who was the first German brewer in this region. Mm. Uh, he was an 1844 brewer out of the Schwarzwald. Um, his name was Christoph Kuster, but, um, he eventually, his, by the time he passed, his family eventually merged with some other German brewers to create the original Grand Rapids Brewing Company in this region, uh, prior to prohibition, which was pretty sizable. They brewed over, um, you know, three, 400,000 barrels at their max, uh, and the eve of prohibition. So they were pretty sizable in their day, but, um. Uh, Adolf Getz was their uh, was their primary brewmaster, their original brewmaster, and uh, we were fortunate to get at, get some of his notebooks as well that are all written in German. So we were able to kind of dig through these a little bit and see they didn't necessarily have recipes, but they had a lot of his notes and mm. how he was tweaking and playing with his uh, his beers. So uh, you know, those are all things that we can kind of take and experiment with. Of course, these styles have all evolved. Um, the raw materials have evolved. They're not like they were exactly then. 
Um, and then when we needed, um, we needed a, uh, a house beer for our new location in Grand Rapids, we, we pivoted as well. Be, um, there was a Dampf beer style in early, early 19th uh, century, uh, in, in Bavaria, as I mentioned earlier, the wheat beer was exclusively brewed by the Royal Brewers. So the, all the, all barley beer brewers could not use wheat, but wheat beer was the most popular style. So they wanted to kind of emulate it as much as they could. So there was an effort for a while that was called Dampf beer or would translate as steam beer, but it has nothing to do with the California version. Um, but they would, um, they would take an all, an all barley beer and they would, they would pitch the, the, the ale yeast, the wheat yeast and try to get some of that estuary formation. Mm. So, uh, we've kind of played with our own version of that. There's two breweries that I know of in Germany that still make this style, but, uh, we've, we've, uh, tried to, uh, do our own little version of that. And that's become our house beer then on the, um, on the West side in, in Grand Rapids. So we've made this as a kind of a lighter, a light drinkable ale but with tendencies of a lager dump beer dump beer um you know does it uh you know require a specific uh, approach to barley to brew well uh, well, we don't know. There's not really all that many ex- examples. Sure. I mean, again, you're trying to read as much on this yeah. as you can. And of the two German breweries we're aware of, one is in the north. And so that's not really, um, it's not really a, um, I don't think either of them are doing necessarily traditional. The one in Bavaria, I think, is trying to, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's almost like, again, the, the, the American version nobody really knows what anchor right. was brewing sure, in eight, sure. 1896 so yeah. um you're relying on notes and you're relying on um you know anecdotal commentary right. to to try to um and, that, and the term in german actually then morphed because this was also the era of mechanization and when they started doing mechanical brewing that was no longer quote unquote by hand they were using steam powered brewers well that became the term dump beer became adopted to mechanical breweries so any style that was brewed in a brewery with steam power was called a dump beer mm. so the style the term evolved over over time but yeah. we're kind of targeting that early 19th century version um with you know with the uh, imitation of wheat beer from a barley brewer <laughs> sure sure when it comes to malt do you have preferences yeah are there specific uh, German malts that you lean on, or uh, do we you... switch that as well. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We use we use Weirman for a long time, and we've been there uh, several times, but they never sent us our overalls. So <laughs> oh oh <laughs> yeah. So we we've you know we've been we've been uh, experimenting a little bit, and we've um, you know we have we've changed it up a little bit now. So. Sure, sure. Um, maybe we talk about uh, Dunkelweizen for a little bit. You know, you know, we're making this darker version of uh, of. Uh, uh, Weitzbeer. Um, you know, talk to me about your approach to that. Um, well, I mean, I don't want to say it's a, it's a secondary. I mean, we, we kind of, we kind of half uh, stiff arm it a little bit because we want to make sure it's, it, it, it is both visually and, um, uh, and on your palate distinct from original. A lot of people look at the original that has a little color to it and mm-hmm. think, oh, that's a Dunkelweizen. And, and it's not. And when you taste them side by side, you can you can you can, you can uh, definitely taste a difference. But obviously, we're using we're using you know chocolate malts in that to mm-hmm. both get more more of the body and more of a milk chocolatey um, character. I think to the uh, we almost we almost uh, promote it as a as a little bit of a nice as a as a, as a Sunday because you got a little a little banana and chocolate uh, <laughs> characteristics to it. I mean, no no bananas were harmed in the making of this beer, but. 
Um, but careful, yeah. your craft beer fans <laughs> might have a different expectation for that right now. Sure. Yeah. Um, you know, but other than that, it's a pretty similar process with just a, a malt change up on it. Right. Yeah. It's just, it's just different, uh, different, uh, yeah, different malt bill. Sure. Sure. Um, and then, you know, in terms of process, since you're using an open top fermenter, you are top cropping that yeast and then, you know, cleaning and repitching that, uh, you know, what's that for? Yeah, we probably, process? again, in a small brewery, we don't necessarily, um, we probably don't get as many uh, generations out of it as we, as we could. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so we're only really getting six to eight generations out of, out of, out of it. And that's where we've ended up running into problems when we've ever tried to extend it yeah. out and send it out too far. And, um, you know, that's the one thing about vice beer. Um, I, you, you can pick up dirty, cra- dirty draft lines right away. Uh, you can taste that diacetyl. Um, it, I mean, I'm, maybe I'm just more sensitive to it, but even that's one of my frustrations. You go out and do accounts, and if you pick that up right away, it's like, ah, when'd you clean your when'd you clean your draft lines? Um, you, you know, and um, same with the yeast. If if the yeast is if you push it if you push it too hard, um, at least in our small setting, and you know we have a very basic lab here, so that's one of the disadvantages uh, that we certainly have to probably getting more more out of that. But certainly as we as we as we grow, that's uh, that's a that's a big priority for us to yeah. in- invest more in that in those uh in those facilities that we can we can stretch these a little farther yeah what's the key to hay stability in this because clearly you're making stable haze well i mean again we're all on draft we don't do any packaging at mm, all none right wow. right and so i mean unfortunately it's probably not as um you know it's not as stable as we'd really like it because of course you're going to get you know, when you you, you you draw the last a couple kegs out of a batch, you're going to get uh, you're going to get some separation. So yeah. um, you're going to get it really murky in the uh, in the first couple pours and then the last few pours. And you're going to get you're going to run a little bit clearer in the middle. But, you know, for the most part, we do we do we do try to we do try to keep it stirred up and in suspension as much as we uh, as much as we can. And I mean, a lot of that's in, certainly in the in the packaging we when we, we bring it right to bright tank and, mm-hmm. and, and transfer it over right away. So, um, you know, we're not letting it, uh, and the, the, we don't, we actually don't filter anything. So even our loggers, but our loggers will let settle out, uh, you know, before we, before we move over into package. Mm-hmm. And the head, of course, with that kind of wheat component is, uh, is just big and bold and, uh, bright and all of those things. Well, the, um, um, I know the staff always knows when they, when they do get, um, maybe that uh, 28th or 29th keg, and if it's sitting there and gets all murky, they they usually call me because no, the, the customers don't like those, but I like the muddy ones. So uh, you know, if you if you know if you're offering advice to people trying to you know homebrewers out there, or somebody trying to brew one of one of these at home, uh, you know, what would some of your your biggest advice be to them? Well, I mean, you know, we we talked a little we talked a little bit about the mash and about that primary open, but you know, the other thing obviously is is your temperature uh, your your primary fermentation temperature for your um, for your ester formation, and again, you can tweak that a little bit if you're looking for a little more banana, or you're looking for a little more clove or spice on it. Yeah. So, where do you keep it? Where do you lean on that? Uh, well, somewhere as in the I'm middle. a German. Yeah, I'm. I'm <laughs> we're, I mean, it's balance. I like to have a little yeah, hint of yeah. both, and I don't really necessarily. Like I said, that hurts us sometimes in judging um, if yeah. you know, it's not clovey enough or it's not banana-y enough, but. Um, 
but you know, one of the things that I like, especially on the the original, the 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 pale one to me, I mean, it's, it's nice in the summer, which is what people think about. Um, in it, but it can, to me personally, can get a little sweet if you drink a lot a lot of those, or you know, more than more than two. Um, whereas, uh, you know, the original, I can, I can make a session out of those if I have to. So, and these are all very drinkable beers. There's, you know, session beers for, for between four, eight and five, three. So they're not, um, you know, they're not super strong. Sure. You can, you can have a couple, they pair great with food. One of the nice things we have when we do beer tastings with people is it is much easier to pair up when you're not overwhelming with, you know, with a, a hop bite or, a, you know, great big bodied high alcohol, uh, beer you can actually pair with fish and salads and things like that when you're you know working with other restaurants to um, to create a, a tasting menu so um, subtlety subtlety and balance and it's a very affordable beer too where you're selling this nice large traditional glass you know for a very reasonable price that yeah. uh, people can come in and have a couple little so yeah. there yeah what well, we do we did make a commitment as you see here to the um, to the german glassware so we work with som uh here in um they have a they have an office in toledo and they all have their fill lines on them the half liter fill lines so it leaves proper headspace that you're getting some of those aromas which is really a big part of that sensory uh experience as you're as you're first tasting this yeah. beer and getting some of those estery notes that's coming from uh coming from the aroma and um Obviously, it's also visually appealing. It's attractive sure, sure. with, uh, with uh, the, you know, the logos and everything on them. Of course, in Michigan, we have this whole thing with we're one of the few states where you can't do branded glassware, except in various particular circum mm. circumstances. We can do them here. But in the market, if you go to bars and restaurants here, very, very, very few logoed glassware. If they do buy it, they have to do it through a third party. They can't get it from a distributor or from a... Or from a, uh, a a supplier itself, so you don't. I'm see so a lot glad of we can glassware. protect consumers by <laughs> well, making it, a bar not be able to buy glassware. Well, it's to as you very well know, it's to it, it, part of it is to protect you from you know Anheuser Busch supplying all the glassware sure, and getting all the tap sure. handles. But uh, seems like they're doing that anyway. <laughs> um, but uh, so Michigan's a little bit funky in terms of seeing logo glassware, right. but certainly on on our own premise, it's. Um, you know, it's it's we we don't use the shaker pint. We use proper sure. glassware for each style, and uh, it's you know part of our shtick, if you will, that people can experience these uh, these uh, styles as the uh, as the brewer intended. That's an attractive service and uh, makes the beer look better that much better too. And people drink first with their eyes. Let's pull out for a second. Let's talk about the big picture. What do you hope to achieve? You know, what's the what's the end goal? For Cedar Springs and Custer Brow House. Well, to me, I mean, I'm, uh, um, you know, I'm, I'm approaching my mid fifties here now. So, um, I, uh, I was fell in love with this style, and and then that's really been kind of my um, my whole goal is to introduce this to my hometown and perhaps my region. And um, you know, if we can, if people think of Vice Beer in in uh, in our neck of the woods, I'd like them to think of us. That's that's really the the overarching goal. Um, you know, certainly we have, uh, we just opened another location and we have some, uh, you know, we have some growth ambition that the world has obviously changed here in the last three years. Right. Um, and I think a lot of the financial fundamentals are always the same, but, uh, there may be a certain or a different appeal or look of the craft beer world now from, um, from both M and A and from, uh, you know, from the banking perspective too. So, um, you know, there's a new whole new set of challenges to, um, 
you know, to deal with when you're looking at growth. But um, we're not, I don't, I don't think I'm done yet. I got another 20 years to go. So we'll see what we can do in the meantime. <laughs> There's plenty more vice beer to be made for sure. Well, I think that's a great place to bring it to a close. G&D Chillers is the brewing industry's premier choice for glycol chilling. Cancraft is nearby and ready to deliver your complete packaging solution. AccuBrew gives brewers like you unprecedented insight into your fermentation process. ProBrew solutions are specifically designed to help you brew your beer. If you need a central source for fruit flavor, Old Orchard has you covered. SS BrewTech has taken tech they invented working with industry vets and made them available to every craft brewer. PackTech handles are the sustainable solution to handle your craft beer. And Berkeley Yeast Style Boost is pure liquid style precursors that take tropics to the next level. If you've enjoyed this conversation or any others, please go to beerandbring.com. Click on that subscribe button. Uh, let us know that you value what we do. And uh, of course, you'll gain access to all sorts of great subscriber-only content on the website. Um, Dave, if people want to learn more about the beer that you all make here at Cedar Springs and Costa uh, Urbra House, where do they find more about you? Oh uh, well, obviously we're on the we're on the interwebbies like everybody else. Um, we're we're in the process actually of redoing our website, so I apologize if it's, it's not totally up to date. But we're at csbrew.com or at grbrowhouse.com uh, for our websites, and we're quite active on the social medias as well. So you can find us on Facebook, etc. Fantastic. Well, thanks for talking to me about Vice Beer. It's been fun. Oh, thanks for coming by and drinking some bread with us. Yeah, cheers. Prost. This podcast is brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine for those that love to make and drink great beer. Learn more online or subscribe at beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at Craft Beer Brew.